0: Welcome back to another edition of Coronation Radio. I am your host, Patrick Gerhardt. And with me today, I have Spencer Hall. Spencer, as many of you probably know, is co host of the Shutdown Fullcast, also co host of Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network, and co writer on the for Channel 6, the newsletter. Spencer, happy Scott Frost Day.
1: Happy, it's always good. Uh, happy Scott Frost Day for me. Here, so yeah, happy Scott Frost Day to you too. Thank you, thank you. How are things with you? Busy, busy. Uh, it's very weird. For you know, about seven months out of the year, you sort of feel like you don't have a real job, and then for about five months out of the year, you feel like you have nine. So I think that averages out to something like two full-time jobs, and it's fine. I am so happy to be busy again, especially after everything that's happened in the last year and a half. This is. It is a pleasure. It is a pleasure to talk about everything, including Nebraska.
0: (laughs) Which we'll get to here in a little bit. You know, just to start out, this year is kind of a a refresher for college football fans, as as 2020 was a rough one for all of us, regardless of who you rooted for. You know, what are your kind of first thoughts on how the season's gone so far, considering we're about a fourth of the way through?
1: It looks like a bunch of teams who didn't really have a full year of prep. That's what it looks like. It, it looks exactly like what you think it would look like, meaning I, I don't know how many complete teams there are. I, I certainly don't think there's a whole lot of teams that won't have an absolutely abominable game or two. Like, I know teams sometimes have bad games. You've seen some really good teams come out and just look like they didn't practice. You know, Like I know Clemson practiced. I really, I know they did. I've seen photos. I know it happened. That's not the way they look on the field. Unfortunately for Clemson, that's how their offense looks every game so far. Um, I think it has the potential to be deeply chaotic. I think that you're seeing a lot of teams where continuity is basically your greatest asset. Iowa looks fantastic. That's because no one's left Iowa in a decade. Never. Everyone's still in place, and the only coaches who have left – excuse me, the only coaches who have left Iowa did it by, you know, dying. Like, that's that's, still like – you know, Norm Parker was a great defensive coordinator, and the only reason he ever left Iowa was because he got ill. That's it, and eventually passed away. That's That kind of continuity I think you've seen uh, with Iowa, Alabama, um, even a place like Cincinnati where they've, you know, managed to sort of stay on track, have the same coach – Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I say that, right, because if you've had the same coach for like five to 10 years, you're going to end up looking pretty good in a situation where there are so many variables and so many unknowns going week to week. So thus far, chaotic, fun, and dominated mostly by teams that just keep doing the same old, same old.
0: In terms of surprises, anything that you want to bring up, like what this, what what has happened this year that has surprised you the most? What are the teams that have surprised you the most?
1: I am most surprised by Arkansas being as competitive as they have been. I know you want to start with like big names and super big population centers with big marquee teams with a lot of clamor. That's why I'm going mm-hmm. Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that USC – fired clay helton now the timing makes very little sense to me except to keep the recruiting class together that may be all the timing you actually need i am surprised that ohio state looks as bad on defense as they do i am surprised that clemson looks as bad on offense as they do and i am surprised that the best team in the acc the sick man of major conferences is wake forest that's all very surprising to me i'm a florida fan I am pleasantly surprised that we have gone from being one of the nation's top passing offenses to one of the top rushing offenses without missing a hitch. Like just skipping gears completely, transforming from, you know, car into giant robot without stuttering. Uh, I'm, I, Dan Mullen is not always the most likable dude. Um, there are a lot of issues you can take with Dan Mullen particularly if you're the kind of person who gets worried about having a lot of four and five stars when recruiting, we get some four stars. We don't get a, lot of, a whole lot of five stars, at least not yet. But the results have been pleasant. I say that as somebody who knows, almost beating Alabama is still losing to Alabama. But for two games in a row, Florida has been right there. Not quite over the top, but Florida has been right there. So that's pleasant. And lastly, there's nothing surprising about Alabama other than they don't quite look as explosive as they did, which you really shouldn't when you lose two astonishing receivers. I know they're not a normal team. I know we don't hold them to normal standards. But, you know, losing Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, they look like a team that lost two fantastic receivers and are sort of looking for the next sort of dominant playmaker. No, it's...
0: Wow, yeah, you, you hit all the big ones on top of the head. Uh, in terms of the mid-majors, how about the mid-majors? Let's give them some love here. Uh, anybody in there that you've really been impressed
1: with this year or been surprised with? SMU's ability to just thrive in chaos. That team, I, I know Sunny Dykes teams tend to work like this, that they just, um, there's really no telling what's going to happen. There's a finite number of points that are allotted in any game involving a Sunny Dykes team. It's like somewhere in a number of about 70. And how they're apportioned depends on whether they decide to turn the ball over or not, or whether their defense decides to show up. SMU has been uh, extremely fun, extremely footloose, and thrilling at times, and scary at others. They are a fun mid-major to me to watch. I am also really, like, I think they're not too different a team. Fresno State and Jake Hayner. Jake Hayner is the late-night god. Like, that's, you, you know... Who's going to be like the people's Heisman, my, the Bradley Van Pelt Award this year that I like to hand out where we give it to the guy who is probably not going to be a pro, but that doesn't matter just because they're so cool. Jake Hainer. Jake Hainer at Fresno State because um, they're inevitably in some kind of 35-38 game. They're inevitably down a score late, and they drive back. They actually got down like 21. I think they got down 21-3 or 21-9 versus uh, UNLV, uh, previously winless. UNLV and UNLV left without a loss because lo and behold, you can't keep Jake Hayner down. And he's thrown to a guy, I believe Jalen Cropper, who is uh, an astonishing receiver. And they have maybe the best, the best like low-key, non-Power 5 connection between a QB and a wide receiver in the nation right now. He'll throw to them like 12, 15 times a game. It's awesome.
0: And they're fun to watch. And the entire team's fun to watch. I mean, as you said, Jake so Hainer's... Fun jay canner is probably one of the best players out there he will most likely like you said not go to the nfl but you know what he will go to the bay area and sell real estate and make a very nice life for himself after he's done at fresno state and i'm glad you brought fresno state up because uh one of my complaints about no offense east coast writers is that the west does not give the love that they should so i'm glad you've you've been up late enough uh which by the way i know you've been up late watching these games because i've listened to a couple of the uh uh, full cast after darks um, which have been
1: fun thank you and i apologize that's, you know, <laughs> that's the order we go like thank you for your patronage and we're sorry about that
0: no no it's been great especially last weekend when we had i want to say legitimately three out of four pack 12 games that were worth watching past midnight for once uh i'm listen, not saying the, they were the Pac- good games but they were fun games so
1: let's I, I it is best like the best of viewing is the Pac 12. Notice I don't say the best football. I just said, if you're up late and you want entertainment, I don't know what they're going to deliver. It's like, it's kind of like calling a delivery app and just saying, bring me food. It's thrilled to show up with. Could be anything from 30 to 50 different restaurants that serve your area. Yeah,
0: it could be pizza with, uh, you know, two Wendy's hamburgers. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Which if you watch Arizona be. football, that's what you're gonna get. you get you could be getting some fried rice. Yeah, if you watch Arizona football, man, you're gonna get a couple of you know, a couple of cold burgers. That's, <laughs> that's Arizona's Arizona's a tough watch right now, you know, but they and, should be, your
0: what? And, and there may not be meat in those burgers. <laughs> you see the walk-ons they're doing what you walk-on want, tryouts right now. The... So. anyway, are you still there? I am. I am. Okay. I feel like we're cutting out. Sorry about that. So anyway, um, let's move on to, to, to the college football playoff. You mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of these teams are surprising us, not just for good, but also for bad. Uh, Clemson has two losses. It looks like the sec might have two teams or have the ability to have two teams in the playoff this year. How do you think the playoffs going to shake out at this point in the season?
1: I mean, I think you can go ahead and pencil in, you know, barring disaster Alabama, because I think the SEC will have two teams. Um, That's just, that seems to be, that seems to be the way it's leaning because I don't know how many conferences are going to put together a consistent slate of teams where we're going to consider two from one, you know, the big 10, maybe, but Ohio States looks so erratic on the defensive side of the ball that I can't help but see it biting them once if not twice down the road so that's one big if for me is if because i'm pretty sure so far do you see any team in the big 10 that won't have two losses it's hard it's hard not to especially given the way michigan penn state ohio state and michigan state could layer kick their way into an acc style circle of you know transitive property losses to each other that really makes selecting them clearly a very difficult thing. So that leaves the ACC, where the ACC doesn't have a great team. They have a pretty good team in the form of Wake Forest, but that's Wake Forest. I don't think Wake Forest is going to get through the season unscathed either. And that leaves the Big 12, which has already had several of its favorites take early games. So, and Oklahoma is struggling on offense right now. You know, which matters by the way, like big men matter. That's another thing early in the season that I always remember is yeah, when you lose your starting center, that tends to matter in terms of how your entire team performs. That's the quarterback of the offensive line, and they're suffering. So I don't know. And that leaves the Pac 12. Pac 12 is going to put anybody out, maybe Oregon. Oregon seems to be the only team that really has any clue on how to put together a complete game. So I think you might see Oregon in there. I think you might see two SEC teams and then probably a big 10 team. That's how it looks to me right now.
0: And that could probably change this upcoming weekend considering how everybody's played so far. But I, I, I would, I would have to agree with you. I mean, SEC with all, with all the faults and the teams in there still looks like the strongest conference out of all of them from least, at least in the top end.
1: If you get an undefeated, if you get an undefeated Alabama or a one-loss Alabama versus an undefeated Georgia, and the one-loss Alabama beats undefeated Georgia in the SEC championship game, which thus far has been the pattern, you will end up with a one-loss team and a one-loss team out of the SEC, whose only loss and the only losses will be uh, an early-season loss, say to Ole Miss this weekend for Alabama, because I think that's going to happen, and then they'll rip through the rest of their schedule. Then they will beat Georgia, and Georgia's only loss will be to Alabama. It will be very hard given the visibility of that game and the sort of established momentum the sec has among those who make these decisions, it'll be really hard to keep them out.
0: I Agree. Moving on. Let's talk. We're, we're a Husker podcast. As you know, uh, Huskers have had an interesting year so far, whether you mm-hmm. predicted it or not, w- what are your thoughts on this year's uh, Nebraska team? <laughs>
1: Well, it is so frustrating to watch them. And I say this as a third party. It is frustrating to watch that team make the same mistakes over and over again. I think that's what drives people crazy is losing the same way or making the same mistakes over and over again, particularly on special teams. I think that is, that's so frustrating. Like that would drive me absolutely batty if that kept happening to my team and I say that because I have had that happen to my team man I have been through the Will Muschamp years where you just go I cannot believe you are making me crash in the same car in the same way every single time like it is it is a running gag that gets old super super fast so I get that. I think everybody should be immensely frustrated. I think it sucks when you get the ball back for three minutes or two minutes and Adrian Martinez has the ball and you just know it's not happening. Like that sucks. It just sucks when you just go, no chance. <laughs> like, you know, when you just feel it in your bones and you go, this will not turn right now. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one reason is that there's not a lot of guys. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of guys really stretch the field or their whole lot of playmakers that they have that they otherwise you know that, that, that Scott Frost staff had at UCF and I don't think that you know some people might say that as an insult and go oh you know you can't get like some ways and you can't there's Nebraska that you get at UCF dude UCF's awesome they've been fantastic at times over the past decade uh, if not damn near perfect so that kind of talent that is capable of going toe to toe with, you know, Hey, regionally adjacent sec powers as they did in games uh, against Auburn, for instance, that kind of thing. Like, I-, I don't think that's damning with faint praise. I don't, you know, I don't think that's any kind of shade, you know, I think you got, um, is it Tor- is it pronounced Torre? Mm-hmm. you correct. Yeah. yeah. Wide out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tore I that dude is great. They need more of that. They need more because the whole idea of that offense is to get dudes in space who are going to shake extra yardage loose. You know, they, they don't have enough help. They don't have enough talent in terms of playmakers, um, you know, they, to, to really sort of give a guy like, you know, Adrian Martinez that, like, that offense at its best functions when the quarterback is a point guard and he's just distributing. That is the, the best way I can explain that offense at its best. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that Mackenzie Milton was so good at at UCF. If you watch, it felt like he was operating an offense and not so much sort of, you know, making plays on what, based on extraordinary talent. It's a very controlled. It's a very um, option oriented offense in every sense of the word, meaning, you know, things are going to play off each other. And if they're all working, then it's it's, just, it's it's a machine. It's very difficult to stop. I don't feel like they have the playmakers that wide out or running back to really make that home yet. And that like that recruiting uh, shortfall is firmly on them. I just think, you know, if you look back and say, Hey, why didn't this work? That's why you weren't able to get the same kind of playmakers to Nebraska that you were to get uh, that you just were able to sort of invite down the street at UCF. That's my, that's my very crude look at it. You know, everything else it's, It's kind of a muddle. It's not even – they don't even look overly bad at times. They just don't look like it's all together or that they can make the plays that coaches are asking them to make because they're just not as good as the other dude.
0: And outside of the players, and I ask you this because you're a Florida guy. You report down there. uh, You know the area well. What have you seen as been a difference between Scott Frost and his staff at UCF versus what they are in Lincoln?
1: That's hard for me to say because I don't necessarily know, like, I don't necessarily know what they have been in the community up there. UCF down in down in Central Florida has, you know, always been like they're very, they were very businesslike. They were very low profile. Um, but very aggressive and recruited really well and put players in a position to succeed. You know, they, that's, you know, the, the best things like I was talking about, you know, Dan Mullins work at Florida this year, that's the kind of thing that, you know, a good coach does at any level, which is says, says, you know, okay, well, we're not doing this. So maybe we have to do that. And I, it's weird because I don't know if they've done that, you know, additionally, I, I think recruiting wise, Recruiting wise, I think we've seen that that the challenge at Nebraska remains very real. That they haven't done what I think they haven't done what some programs like Memphis did. And Memphis may even be an inaccurate comparison because I feel like Memphis is sitting closer to talent than Lincoln is. You know, I can say that, you know, Memphis did a great job of taking guys who were kind of off cut and turning them into playmakers by putting them in the right spots. You're um, you know, like for instance the NFL's finest Antonio Gibson and Tony Pollard, both guys out of Memphis, both guys who were kind of either undersized off cut or guys who were recruited as athletes who were kind of tweeners. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that the staff should really be about, that they should be about finding those guys and giving them a chance that they should be about, you know, when Colorado was able to find a guy like LaVisca Chenault, who wasn't, you know, he was kind of neither fish nor foul. He was neither receiver. He was nor running back. He was, Um, sort of a tweener, and they were able to just make it work by putting him in a lot of different positions. That seems to be the kind of thing that this offense and this staff should really be leaning into, because I do not think based on anything that's happened so far, or anything that's happened with Nebraska in the past decade, at least, that you're going to be able to get to a playmaker and say, hey, you should come here because you're going to succeed. You just need one you just need one and that will start the chain. That's it, where you can actually go back to a recruit and say, you could be the next that guy. And that kind of versatility and flexibility when it comes to developing talent, that may be, I'm talking, can you, can you hear me reaching this conclusion live? <laughs> As I'm like, that may, <laughs> that may be the biggest problem, not just recruiting. We talk about people, you know, oh, okay, well, they didn't get stars there. Okay, well, if you didn't get stars, what did you do to, to make up that gap? And there are some really good teams that have made up that gap by developing talent and seeing potential where other people did not. And, you know, for instance, that's, that's look at Iowa. Iowa's goals are modest. All they want to do is, is build offensive guards out of high school tight ends, feed them, turn them into monsters, and, you know, and then fight God. That's That's, their business plan is simple. Um, And that's all they've done for the better part of 20 years. They're really good at it. You know, what is Nebraska's shortcut to that? I I don't know if, I don't know if that's hubris on the part of the staff. Um, I I think it would be very hard to argue that they've done that element well based on everything that's happened to this point.
0: Well, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it, it, you hit the nail on the head, I think what it comes down to is it comes down to getting the right players and developing them. Nebraska's right, not like – I mean, Nebraska's just not in the place like UCF was to just go down the street, like you said, and just okay, pick so off some like, you know, top-notch players.
1: Like, let, like, let, let's play this game, okay? I will name programs, and you will just we – we'll go, okay, who's the dude that came out of there who you're like playmaker, astonishing talent, somebody who was in that – like it, who's a similar profile than Nebraska. I think Kansas State. Kansas State mm-hmm. to me answered that question a lot better, uh, both under Bill Snyder and under current management by saying, "Okay, well, who have we got? Who you know may not have been exactly the fit for what you define as talent, but is still incredible." Darren Sproles, Darren Sproles, great call. Current running back at K State, Deuce Vaughn, um, L. Roberson, um, uh, Michael Bishop, uh, all of these guys who uh, you know, even Colin Klein. Like Colin Klein wasn't going to go to the NFL. Colin Klein was a glorified tight end. He was a great quarterback for Kansas State. Was he exactly what you imagined? No, but he was put in a position to succeed at a place that really by all rights has no reason or means to compete with a place like Nebraska. And yet they've been better because they're way better at putting talent in the right place.
0: Good example. Good example. Well, Spencer, we're running out of time. Um, before you leave, why don't you give everybody uh, a rundown of where they can find
1: you? Oh boy, okay, so uh, first channel six, or you can go to 26snakes.com. If you can't remember the exact channel 6ghosti URL, just go to 26snakes.com. It's weird, but it sticks in the brain. That is the newsletter published by myself and Holly Anderson. Do we promise you two things a week? We deliver two things a week for just $10 a month or a hundred dollars a year. Um, Most of it's college football, but some of it isn't. We wrote about hoodies and chili and it was great. Week, if I may say so myself. You can find me at the Shutdown Fullcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to us on the Levitard and Friends Network uh, or live on Twitter spaces on Saturday night or Sunday morning, depending on when the game ends. Um, That is the Fullcast After Dark. That is our evening edition for adults. Um, you can also watch me on Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network every 7 p.m. with my good friend Richard Johnson, where we cover, uh, you know, the conference, just so you can keep your eye on your enemies, right? That's that's a fair thing. <laughs> um, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, I know, those are old foes. You can come on down and track where they're going. Um, DVR it, love it, watch it, spread the word. At, or you can just, if all of these are too much for you, you can follow me on Twitter at EDSBS where I will be too much for you there Perfect. Thank you very much for joining us. Yep. Thanks, Patrick.